All right, we're ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat. Welcome back. Welcome back. Come in and find a seat. Good to see you all this morning. Let's bow our heads to pray as we, as we begin this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We honor you this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us today. Lord, I bless each person here. And Lord, I pray that, that you would speak to each person. Lord, I pray that our ears would be open to hear what you have to say to each of us individually and, and to hear what you have to say to us as a church. Lord, we, we bless you. We thank you. Lord, I, I just do pray for a, an encounter with the living God for each person here today as, we, as we've worshiped, as we, as we come into your presence. Lord, as we, as we hear your word this morning, Lord, would you touch each person? Lord, I bless each person here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, welcome again. My name is Alan Dice. I'm one of the pastors here at Newport Church. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to uh, you if you're here for the first time. If you're here for the first time, you may not know that we are in the midst of a series of teachings called Life's Big Questions. Last week, we kicked it off with uh, the first one, How Do I Know There is a God? And so if you've missed any of these teachings, go on to newportchurch.net. You can listen to the audio. You can see the video on, on the church website. Next week, you don't want to miss, uh, Pastor Merle's going to be preaching on why am I here, and does my life have a purpose? What, what's the purpose for my life, and do I have a, a reason for being here, or is it just, just coincidence that I'm, that I'm here at this place and this time? Today, we're, we're talking about the Bible, and, and uh, if you, hopefully, uh, you should have gotten a, a copy of uh, sermon notes for today on this uh, colored sheet. If you didn't, there are some on the back table that, that you can grab one. I apologize that the date is incorrect on the, on the uh, sermon notes, so you can, you can take your pen and, and correct that. Uh, so you can follow along on, uh, on the sermon notes as, as we're going through. How do I know the Bible is true? Can I know that the Bible is God's Word? So many of us have, have paper Bibles. Lots of us come ready to use electronic Bibles, handheld uh, Bibles on our phones or our, our tablets, and we're, we're ready to access or ready to be, uh, interact with the Bible in, in lots of different ways. But why is the Bible so special, and, and is it really different from any other book? The world is filled with books, and, and why is this book so much different and special than, than any other book in the world? So what I'd like you to come away from this morning, if you don't get anything else today, what I want you to come away from this morning is the incredible treasure and the incredible miracle 
that the Bible, God's Word, is to us. How it's an incredible uh, miracle, how it's an incredible treasure that God has, has given to us. So I've got some uniques. Uh, if you look at the uh, sermon outline, I've got five different uniques in, in that uh, explain how this Bible is, how this book is so completely different and unique than any other book in the whole world. And number one, it's unique in its continuity. What does that mean? So imagine if you took 10 different writers or 10 different authors, or if you're going to school tomorrow and, and you were assigned to write an essay on, on a specific subject. Imagine taking some authors and asking them to write on the same topic and uh, a, a controversial topic and, and collecting all those results and thinking, would they all agree? Probably not. Yeah, there were there are different viewpoints. There are different directions. People come at things from different different uh, directions, different viewpoints. So what what would you get if you asked ten different authors to to write on a controversial subject? You'd probably get this huge conglomeration of of uh, responses. The Bible, on the other hand, was written what over fifteen hundred years by more than 40 authors, not just 10, 40 authors. And it was written by people who were completely different from each other. Kings, peasants, military leaders, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, musicians, statesmen, scholars, shepherds. You might identify yourself with one of those or not. And it was written, the Bible was written in, in different places. Moses wrote in the wilderness. Jeremiah wrote in a dungeon. Daniel wrote in, in the fields and in the palace. Paul wrote in a prison. Luke wrote while he was traveling. John wrote while he was exiled off in an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It was written on three different continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek over a wide variety of literary styles and hundreds of subjects. But through it all, it all agrees. And it all has continuity. There is one central theme, and that is that God is revealing himself. The eternal God is revealing himself more and more to people down through the ages. How did God do this? He did it by choosing one man, at the beginning of the Bible, his name is Abraham. And then God chose a family, Abraham's family, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob. And from Jacob comes a nation, 12 sons, lots of descendants. God chose a nation called to be the Israelites. And God begins to reveal himself more and more and more to people. And God's purpose for doing this was, yeah, it was to reveal himself. So that through this nation, all nations on the earth would be blessed. And, and so that we today, here in Newport Church, September 30th, 2018, can be some of the people who are blessed because of Abraham. How does that happen? Because from that nation, Abraham, came our Savior, Jesus Christ. And one central character that all the Bible points to is this Son of God, Jesus Best of all, God, the, the Bible reveals God's great plan that, that he 
had in mind before the creation of the world to redeem us and to welcome rebellious people back into his family. So, so the Bible is, is completely uh, unique in its continuity, that, that 40 authors over, over uh, 1,500 years would all agree and, and all come together and all have the same focus. Number two, it's unique in its survival. So, so this is really interesting. And I'm totally missing my PowerPoint here. There we go. Unique in its continuity, unique in its survival. So, unique in its survival. How did we get the Bible from thousands of years ago? Well, a lot of times, uh, the Bible was passed down from generation to generation by faithful scribes. Scribes were people who who uh, sat at desks day after day after day, writing and copying. And so faithful scribes copied our scriptures by hand. And they had to do that with extreme care and precision down through hundreds of years. And, and so many people hear of, of ancient writings, like, like we have Genesis and Exodus. People hear of ancient writings and think that we have the original writings. They think that somewhere we have... We have the original writings that Moses or Daniel wrote, manuscripts that were written 2,000 years ago. But we don't. That's just too old. That's just too far back. We don't have the original documents that Moses wrote. We don't have the original documents that Isaiah wrote. We don't have those original ones. We have copies of copies of copies of copies. And these scribes copied the Bible down through portions of scriptures down through the centuries. Of course, ancient people didn't have paper. Ancient people didn't have Microsoft Word. So, so at first, how did they do without paper? Well, they, they wrote on, on papyrus, which was uh, these big, broad leaves that were, that were glued together. And they, and they took these leaves and they, they glued together stack after stack, sort of like plywood. And, and then once the, it was thick enough, they were able to, uh, it, was, it became a writing material. And then after papyrus, they, someone else discovered you could write on animal skins. They called them parchment. And, and so animal skins were much more durable and lasted longer. So there were all these different writing materials that uh, some lasted longer than others, papyrus and, and parchment. And, and so the scribes were the ones who copied uh, uh, down through the centuries. I don't know if you've ever played the children's game uh, whisper down the lane. Anyone remember playing Whisper Down the Lane? How you started with a story or something, and and you whispered it down. I found this uh, really good illustration of Whisper Down the Lane. It was Norman Rockwell uh, of uh, sort of the uh, the people passing a message down through. You can imagine sort of the gossipy message that must be going down through. And so imagine playing Whisper Down the Lane with five people, you know, and the, and the message gets a little distorted at the end, doesn't it? Or ten people or 100 people, or 1,000 people, that message could get distorted all the way down through. So, for example, we believe that Moses wrote our first five books of the Bible. We call them the, the Pentateuch. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we believe that Moses lived around 1300 B.C. Some of you love dates and charts and times in history, and some don't. I understand that. So we believe that Moses lived around 1300 B.C. So I made a 
cool timeline for you here today. And, and so we have you today here, 2018. That's us right here today. And I'll try to explain this. That we have Jesus in the center, and, and he's at, uh, you know, the year 1 A.D. And so 1,300 years before that was Moses. That's 1,300 B.C. So uh, you sort of see uh, the time uh, comparisons all the way down through. So if we add 2018 plus 1,300, we believe that Moses lived around 3,300 years ago. That's a long time. 3,300 years ago is when Moses lived. And, and we believe that Moses wrote those first five books of the Bible. But we don't have Moses' original writings. We don't have his papyrus. We don't have his parchment. But we do have the work of faithful scribes whose life work was carefully copying old writings into new writings. Some people would be really excited about that. I think it'd be really boring to tell you the truth. You know, you get home from work and, and your wife says, Dear, what do you do today? And it's like, I copied two chapters of Leviticus today. Hooray! It was a major accomplishment. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it might have been exciting for some people. 3,300 years ago. So imagine a whisper down the lane of 3,300 people. That'd be a long whisper down the lane, wouldn't it? One person for each year from now all the way back to Moses. But, you know, we don't have the original documents that Moses wrote, but we have many old writings and manuscripts that have been discovered and have been found down through the years. Really old, old uh, writings. So in modern times, the oldest... Old Testament manuscripts we had available were copies dating to the 9th century A.D., dating around the year 800 A.D. So uh, that's, you know, going, going back from today back to 800 A.D. So uh, for Moses' writings, if he lived in 1300 B.C., and we had writings up to 800 A.D., that means 1300 plus 800 2,100 years that the oldest existing manuscripts were written. So instead of a whisper down the lane of 3,300 people, that means a whisper down the lane of 2,100 people. Well, that's better, but still not great. So the story goes, in more modern times, 1947, 71 years ago, in what is today the nation of Israel, area of Judea, near the Dead Sea, there was a goat and a sh and shepherd who had goats. And the story goes, true story, a goat who strayed into a cave in the Judean wilderness. A Bedouin shepherd, here's a, uh, a depiction of what someone thinks it looked like. A Bedouin shepherd flung a stone into the dark cave and he heard the clink against a pot uh, as his rock hit something inside the cave. And he decided, I'm going to go inside that cave and I'm going to find out what's, what's in there. What, what did my rock hit? And he finds um, uh, pot after pot after pot, like the brown pots on the inset there, which contained manuscripts and, and old writings. And, and they, they found that there were 15,000 fragments of 850 scrolls secreted among the many caves in the, around the Dead Sea. And so 
the great discovery in 1947 was what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. We call them the Dead Sea Scrolls because they were, they were uh, found around the Dead Sea. Um, 800 documents made of animal skin. That was the, that was the parchment, papyrus, and even, even written on copper. Among these texts are parts of every book of the Hebrew canon, what Christians call the Old Testament. And what was most exciting about the Dead Sea Scrolls is they contained Old Testament pieces dating way back earlier than anything we had before. So, uh, you know, we, we were up there at 800 A.D., the oldest Old Testament writings. Now we've got 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls, way back earlier, even 100 years before, before Jesus, 900 years earlier, older than anything previously seen. This was a big deal. People were all excited, like, wow, look what we found. These are really older than anything we've, we've seen before. And so Bible scholars start examining really, really carefully. You've got to put on white gloves. You've got to be in, the, uh, in a room with the right humidity, and you've got to treat these documents really, really carefully because if they fall apart, you're, you're done. You know? So uh, they, they start comparing what we had in our Bible today with what was discovered back uh, from 100 B.C. And the amazing result was how accurate the Bible we have today is compared to these really, really old, old writings. So we think that, uh, you know, uh, when we have whispered down the lane of thousands of people, it's all going to get garbled and it's all going to get distorted. Well, guess what? With our Bible, it doesn't. Uh, God ha has done a tremendous miracle to be able to preserve and to be able to uh, take down through generations our Bible so that it is, it is accurate and is trustworthy and is faithful. So uh, the versions, uh, I was going to say this, in a traditional whisper down the lane, uh, the versions you have get more accurate the closer you are to the original source. So, you know, if, if you're the next person beside the original guy who's telling the story, you, you, you've got it more accurate than a guy 100, 100 people down in, in the lane. So the, the point is that the older the manuscripts are that you have, the more reliable and trustworthy they are. And, and secondly, um, the greater the quantity of ancient copies of a document you have, the more you can say it is trustworthy and reliable. Now, how do we know that things didn't change in all that copying? That, that scribe after scribe, you know, uh, started changing, making little changes. Well, uh, first of all, there were severe rules for these scribes. And, and I don't think it would have been really fun to be one. Because at the end of the day, when they were finished writing, they had to do a, a check. And, and every word and every letter had to be counted on each page and had to match exactly the page that was being copied. And if there were three or more errors found on a page, that page was just completely destroyed and they had to start over again. I think it had been really frustrating <laughs> to spend all that time and all that work copying and then realize I made three errors today and all my work is done and I have to throw it away and start all over again. Uh, so uh, we can uh, look at ancient documents like this and compare it with our Bible, and we can realize what a miracle our, our Bible is. The Old and New Testaments are a work of God, a miracle of God. God uh, guided the process 
God protected the process, and God guided and inspired the writers. So the Bible says all Scripture is breathed out by God. So uh, writers of the Bible, Daniel and Isaiah and, and Moses and, and John and Luke, would sit down to, to write what they, were, what they were going to write, and God inspired them. God moved through them. God uh, gave them uh, the words to write, and, and it, uh, 2 Timothy calls it breathed by God. The Holy Spirit moved and, and worked in them and, and enabled them to, to write what, uh, what they did. So we can feel confident today that what we have was truly written by a real man called Moses. And, and if you get into secular history theories, uh, you'll run into uh, ideas that, well, Moses really wasn't a real man. He was just some uh, mythical figure that really didn't exist. Maybe he was the conglomeration of, of a bunch of different people. No, we believe that Moses was a real man and that Moses really lived. He really wrote uh, these parts of the Bible. And there were real people called Isaiah and Luke and Paul and all these other writers. But all of it was inspired and protected and guided by God. So when we get evidence like this of ancient manuscripts completely confirming what we have today, it becomes really difficult to, to make a case against the authenticity and trustworthiness of the Bible that we have. Number three, uh, the Bible is unique in its teachings. So the Bible contains hundreds of prophecies which have already been fulfilled in history or will yet be fulfilled. Some of the most remarkable of the prophecies are, are, for example, about Jesus. You know, the time he was going to be born, the city he was going to be born, the nature of his birth. Some people like to, to talk about Jesus and say, well, Jesus uh, knew these prophecies, and so he arranged his life so that it would match up to those prophecies because Jesus memorized them as a, as a boy growing up. Well, that's fine and good, but you don't have any control over the city you're born. And, and the Bible, you know, the Bible uh, gives prophecy about where Jesus was to be born. You don't have any uh, control over, uh, you know, the, the nature of your upbringing and, and your parents and all these things. And, and the Bible uh, gives prophecy about uh, things that Jesus had no control over. And, and so it's unique in its teachings. It's, it talks about judgments on cities and nations that, that did come to pass or will come to pass. The Bible speaks accurately of history. The Bible also speaks very honestly about people and about nations, um, their accomplishments, and, and their failures, too. I mean, you read Old and New Testament, you run into uh, people who are heroes and people full of faith, but you run into to some people who are some real villains, too, and, and some, some pretty horrible people and who did horrible things. Uh, God's chosen people, the Israelites, weren't always pretty people. I mean, they did some horrible things. And, and uh, you know, King David was, was uh, you know, one of the greatest kings of, of Israel, and yet he did some pretty horrible things. He was, he was a great hero. Um, the New Testament even talks about the, uh, some of the problems that the New, Ter New Testament church has faced and, and really honestly just lays out uh, some, of the, some of the troubles that, that God's people uh, were walking through. 
Now, some people will, will claim that, that the Bible is, is just a man-made document and, and uh, you know, if uh, it, it was something that someone was uh, deciding to start this new religion, so they, they put all this together and, and it was just really a, uh, a man-made, uh, really just a fake uh, for, for the purpose of starting a new religion. Well, uh, my response to that is, if I were starting a new religion, there are lots of pieces of the Bible that I don't think I'd include. <laughs> you know, there's some, some characters in the Bible that I wouldn't include if I were starting a whole new religion. And, and uh, uh, there, there are some failures and some things that make us scratch our heads in the Bible that, that uh, I probably wouldn't include. So I believe that the, just the honesty and transparency of God in, in the Bible is... is uh, uh, completely unique and, and even more proof to its authenticity. Uh, Psalm chapter 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. So um, th- this, uh, these two verses talk about what, what God's word can do, does do for you when you spend time in God's word. So the law of the Lord is perfect, and what does it do for you? It refreshes your soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. And they do what? They make you wise. The precepts of the Lord are right. And what do they do to you? They give joy to you. And the commands of the Lord are radiant. And they do what? They give light to your eyes. I believe that the giving light to your eyes uh, speaks to giving you vision, giving you direction, and, and also giving you, giving you hope for your future. Uh, I believe that that we believers, we, we Christians, ought to be the most hope-filled people on the planet Earth. Uh, I think we should be the most optimistic people on planet Earth because we're filled with God's Spirit. We know what God is doing, and, and we're in step, in step with Him. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So the Bible we have today isn't just a strange coincidence. It's a miracle that God has performed. And God deliberately reveals himself in a, in a progressive way, more and more and more throughout the Bible, until God finally reveals himself in the best possible way, and that's in the person of Jesus. So there, there's strong and compelling evidence that the Bible isn't just this ancient book that somehow we got, but it is true, and the Bible is God's word. The Bible is, is God's self-revelation. God reveals himself progressively to us. So Jeremiah 9, don't boast in your wisdom, don't boast in your strength, don't boast in your riches, but boast about this, that you know God, that you have understanding to know me, God says, that I am the Lord. And and who's God? He's the one who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, uh, because these are the things that he delights in. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, uh, in his word, speaks to us. He, he cuts inside of us, and, and he, he uh, reveals himself to us. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Number four, it is unique in its circulation. The Bible continues to be the best-selling book of all time on planet Earth. Billions of Bibles, billions of parts of Bibles have been produced and sold and, and given away. Psalm 119 describes what probably should be our, our attitude toward God's Word. The psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. How I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Number five, it is unique in its translation. Bible translators today will, will go to a remote third world area in which a people group have no written language. So the challenge is to learn to speak the language, then develop a written language, a, a sort of a written system to write the language, and then teach people to read before the translation, the Bible translation can begin. So there's this long process where in, in some parts of the world where uh, people have, don't have any written, written language at all. So there's the story from, from uh, the early church days around uh, 700 A.D. and 800 A.D. where the, the church was just sending out missionaries all over the world. And a missionary by the name of Cyril uh, was sent to Eastern Europe. So it was, let's see, do we have our, yeah, we have our nifty laser pointer. So he went to these nations up here in like Eastern Eastern Europe. He went to the Slavic nations. His name was Cyril. And when he got there, he realized that the Slavic people um, didn't have a, a written language at all. And he was bringing the Bible to them. He wanted to teach them about Jesus. Uh, but he had to start from the very beginning. So he had to learn their language. He had to learn to speak their language. And then he had to learn uh, and develop an alphabet for them. So he developed an alphabet and then he developed a written language for the Slavic people. And uh, then he began translating uh, the Bible into the Slavic language. And so today, if you uh, see, if you go to Russia or you go to Romania, and, and you see uh, uh, the way words and, and the way phrases are written in Romania and Russia, uh, you'll see that, that like, for example, the Russian alphabet is uh, completely different than our alphabet. We don't have the same letters. It looks, it looks completely different. And so uh, today we call uh, that alphabet the Cyrillic alphabet. Is that, is that correct? You ever hear that? And, and so uh, you take that name, and that was from Cyril, that missionary who went to the Slavic nations and developed this alphabet that, that we still use today in, in many of those nations. And, and so... Uh, we see that, that missionaries who, who go, to these, go to these places develop an alphabet, develop a language, a written language, and, and then are able to translate the Bible into, into that language. United Bible Societies and Wycliffe Bible Translators estimate that today in, on the earth, this <clears throat> number keeps changing, that there are 7,099 languages on earth. 7,000. Excuse me. <clears throat> 7,000 languages on earth. But the whole Bible has only been translated into 670 of them. That's, that's like less than 10%, right? 
7,099 living languages. The whole Bible has only been translated into 670. And, and so translations are, are going on all the time, and, and, and missionaries are going out. And, and if you want a really cool job, wouldn't that be a cool job to, to go out to a, a people group who have no alphabet at all, no language uh, that's written at all, and, and go out and learn their language and then develop a, a uh, written language for them and then begin translating the Bible into their language? I think that'd be a, a really cool and exciting job to do. Uh, translating the Bible into their language, teaching them to, to uh, read the Bible for the first time. I've seen some really cool videos of, of, of Bibles being welcomed into towns and villages for the very first time. I mean, the, the town will throw this gigantic parade and the celebration down Main Street and the boxes and boxes and boxes of Bibles arriving in that town for the first time in their own language. And they'll open up the boxes and, and, and their, their eyes are, and faces are just glowing from excitement. Thank you, Steve. Uh, uh, glowing from excitement because of because of the gift of having a Bible in their own language for the first time. How much uh, do we take for granted having a Bible in our own language? Try to imagine what your Christian life would be like without your Bible. Down through history, nations would ban the Bible, burn the Bible. Bibles had to be smuggled into areas, even still today. Early Bible translators were executed for daring to translate into anything beyond Latin. Of course, it, it's sort of strange because Latin wasn't one of the original uh, languages that the Bible was written in to begin with. So Latin was a translation even so, but um, Latin became sort of like the, is the holy language and, and uh, you, you couldn't read the Bible in anything except Latin. So our, our own English Bible, uh, I think many, many of us don't realize the cost that many people paid, even with their lives, that we could have an English Bible. came at a great personal cost to, to uh, a number of uh, like English and, and European leaders of the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries, uh, like uh, John Wycliffe, John Huss, William Tyndale, uh, when, when the church was saying that the Bible could only be understood fully in, in Latin and only educated church leaders were qualified to read and interpret and understand the Bible. And so people like Martin Luther come, came along and, and put out these horrifying ideas that, that the Bible uh, could be studied and understood by common, ordinary people and that, that the Bible could be translated into common, ordinary, everyday languages like English. And, and people were burned at the stake and drowned and, and suffered great persecution. Some died so we could have an English translation of the, of the Bible. We take so much for granted. This is a, so much a, an amazing treasure. This is so much an amazing gift that, that God has, has given to us. Deuteronomy 6. Well, you know, how do we respond to all this? What do, we, what do we do? How do we respond? Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So we ought to take in the Bible into our hearts so that it becomes part of us. And then the very next verse says, impress them on your children. Impress them. Pass them down. Teach your children 
what the Bible says. Teach your children <clears throat> the word of God. So how do we respond? In the Bible, God is continually, continually speaking to us. Continually speaking to you. How will you respond? How will you respond to, to what the Bible says? Number two, the Bible should be our regular spiritual food. This is our food. This is our, this is our food from God that he's given. And spiritually mature people learn to feed themselves on God's word. It, is a, it, it bugs me a little bit when I hear people saying, I'm going to go to small group to get fed. I'm going to go to church service on Sunday morning to get fed. Well, that, that's good for babies because babies need to be fed. And, and uh, if you have a, a six-month-old child, yeah, that, that child needs to be fed by you. But you don't expect that child to stay six months, and you don't expect to feed that child if they're, if they're healthy. Uh, you don't expect to feed that child when they're 18 or when they're 25. You don't expect to feed them uh, with a spoon or a bottle the same way as when they were six months old. So spiritually mature people learn to feed on God's Word, and they learn to, to uh, feed themselves on God's Word. So uh, they don't have to uh, come to be fed on Sunday morning because they've been feeding themselves in God's Word all the way throughout the week. Number three, perhaps you sort of have got out of the habit of reading God's Word. You never started. You're not even sure how to start. So I encourage you to look on the back of the uh, uh, sermon outline this morning, and there, there's just a really good, uh, quick easy way of getting started and reading God's Word. If you, you don't even know where to get started because sometimes the Bible can be a, a, just a daunting thing. You know, where do I start? You know, I've got all these books and all these authors and I don't even know where to start. So uh, how, this is basically how do I start reading the Bible? Start with the Gospel of Mark. Uh, go on to the Gospel of John. Maybe uh, try the, the book of Acts, then, then try moving on to Romans. So there's just some uh, good ideas for getting started, kick-starting off a, a uh, way of beginning to read God's Word if you've, if you've never done that before. If you are married or, married or you're engaged, I encourage you to read the Bible together. Sit down. Read the Bible together. Pray together as a couple. And number five, pray as you read and look for God to speak to you personally. I don't know about you. I've heard lots of people say as they were, as they were reading God's word that this verse jumped out at them. I've had that, I've had that lots of times where uh, I was reading uh, or hearing or listening to God's word and, and something just jumped out at me. And you know what that was? That's the Holy Spirit in us triggering and showing us, revealing uh, something in God's Word to us, to our, to our personal lives. That, that's that sharp sword of the, of the Word of God speaking to us and, and triggering something in us, the, the verse that, that jumped out. So pray as you read. Look for God to speak to you personally. God is, is speaking all the time. And, and the question is, are we listening? Are our ears open to hear what God has to say to us? So I encourage you uh, this morning that we can, we can look at our Bibles and know without a doubt this is God's Word. We can know that this is trustworthy. We can know that this is uh, what God intended for us. It wasn't mixed up. It wasn't lost. It wasn't changed 
This is what God intended for each one of us this morning. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for each person here today in so many different stages of life, in so many different situations. And, and Lord, I pray uh, for each one of us that, that we would honor and recognize the, the word that you've given us. And, and Lord, that we can see that you are speaking to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that we would take seriously uh, how, you, how you speak to us. And, and Lord, I, I thank you that you reveal to us the plan, the great plan of, of salvation that has come down through the ages from, from before creation, that, that plan of salvation through, through Jesus. And, and Lord, this morning, we just want to recognize and, and admit that, that um, yeah, there, there may be uh, people here, there may be many of us who, who uh, perhaps have never made that commitment to Jesus or, or feel like we're far away from God today. So, Lord, uh, uh, we just pray for each person to come into a relationship with God through Jesus. And, and Lord, uh, we, we pray that, that each person would, would know you, would come back to you, our Father, and, and that we'd be welcomed into your family. So, so um, Lord, we pray for each person to be coming into that relationship with God today. Lord, I pray that, that we would recognize, we would honor and we would thank you for the, the gift of your word. And Lord, that we this week would, would uh, even step deeper into, into uh, the reading of your word, the, the feeding of spiritual food in our lives that comes from you. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on this church today. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us this week. Would you speak to us through your word as we, as we step in perhaps to new ways of of honoring you and worshiping you, maybe downloading a new Bible app to our phones, whatever, whatever we need to do, Lord, to, to be able to feed, feed on your word this week. Lord, I, I thank you for the food you supply to us, that we can grow up, that we don't have to be babies anymore. We can grow up and we can learn to feed ourselves on your word. Thank you, Lord. I bless you today. I bless this church today in Jesus' name. I'd like to invite our prayer ministers to come. We'd like to be available here to, to pray with you this morning. If you um, feel like you're far away from God this morning, we'd like to invite you to, to come back to Him. If you've never made a commitment to, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to, to come and, and uh, have someone pray with you this morning. If, if uh, you have a, a need for uh, healing, or if you have a, you're walking through a mountain in your lives, we invite you to come and, and have someone pray with you. So, Lord, I bless this church as we, as we go from here today. We bless our guests today as we go. Uh, Lord, thank you that you just continue to speak to us. Uh, we love you. We worship you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you here this morning.